So I want to talk about growing together evangelistically this morning. So growing together. There's a very um, familiar verse in Ephesians 4 that says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So it's God's intent for churches in every generation to grow to maturity. And that's why the, the gifts that Christ has given the church that, that are in this passage are key role to that. I'm not going to talk about that this morning. But think about it in the context of being evangelistic. Have you ever thought that God wants you to be mature or grown up or confident in being evangelistic? Then that's a thought that's ever crossed your mind. Have you ever asked Holy Spirit what you, you know, for a picture of what you look like as a mature evangelistic person? So what I mean by immature evangelistic is you do, you engage in evangelism like Jesus would. That you've got confidence, that you've got freedom, that you know what to say, that the Holy Spirit leads you. That's what the, that's the Bible's intent for all of us here and our Christians elsewhere. It's not about the evangelist doing all the evangelism. It's actually the verse we've just read is the evangelist enables other people to do it. Have a, have a think about that as we're going through this morning. That there's a maturity and a growth that God is wanting to bring. And I wonder what Eastgate would look like in six months if we, if we as a, I think there's about 900 people in Eastgate, if all of us grew evangelistically over the next six to 12 months. What additional impact would that have amongst people, unsaved people that we live and work amongst? And there's an invitation just, just to do that. Could I go on to the next slide, please? So over the last two years at Eastgate, we've been reimagining evangelism is the phrase that is sticking with us at the moment reimagining means to reinterpret imaginatively so we've gone back to the bible and looked at evangelism fresh sort of pretending we didn't know anything about it imagined it you know reimagined it imaginatively then brought back what we know and we've and and where has it got us and this is just a summary that this because i think it's important to go through this because it kind of acts as a backdrop to the rest of the talk um, I've preached messages on all these points, so if you are, want to get a bit more detail, they're on the church website. But these are the key areas. The first point really is about how does the evangelist motivate people to do evangelism? It's common to use hell as a motivator. Now, hell exists. The Bible tells us it was created for the devil and, and his angels. But you, I can't find in the Bible a systematic teaching that uses hell as a motivator for evangelism. Um, might be for some people, and that's fine. But about a couple of years ago, we, uh, through our journey, God started to speak to us about a different motivation. And that motivation was that God had a dream, and his dream is to reconcile the whole world to himself, which is absolutely massive. And it's such a big dream that he wants to invite all of us, all of you, into that dream. And when you see evangelism that way, it suddenly moves from being a, something I have to do into something that's a privilege and honour. And it completely changes perspective on evangelism. 
The next thing is, is about evangelists. So again, it's not uncommon in churches. Over one side of a church, you've got a grumpy, frustrated evangelist because people aren't doing evangelism. You might have met some of those. I've been that in the past. And then you have um, a church that struggles with evangelism and, but doesn't know where to begin. And what we've learned here in, over the last couple of years is the evangelist actually has the answers to the struggles that people have with evangelism. It's been a bit of a revelation. So rather than the evangelist trying to motivate people through guilt or frustration... Actually, God's given us the answers for the things that you struggle with. The thing is, is if you're, if you've got people that over here that are frustrated and the evangelist over there that's frustrated, you're not going to have a connection between the two groups. And the answers that are in the evangelist won't flow into people and actually set them free. So we've taken some of the principles from Sozo, and Fiona does what she calls an evangelism Sozo, um, and she brings freedom into your into people's lives about from the negative experiences you've had about evangelism the lies you might have be, uh, believed about yourself or about god just give you an example there's a lady that come on came on a dazzle course which i'll talk about later in the church here and when she was at university she did some evangelism lots of people got saved but nobody that she spoke to got saved and she reasoned that she was no good at evangelism she believed that lie for 20 years and didn't engage in evangelism and then God set her free and showed her the truth that she could dance with him in evangelism. And it's transformed her experience of evangelism. So if, if you struggle in any way with evangelism, don't feel bad because we all struggle with certain things. Don't feel bad because evangelists haven't always been there to help you. would be my take. It's not always your responsibility. But there is an answer for everything you struggle with. And it's in evangelists. So that's the other thing. The next thing is being evangelistic is in your spiritual DNA. So it's part of your identity in Christ. If you find yourself in an evangelistic moment, if you know that being evangelistic is something you already have, you're much more likely to engage in, the, in that moment than if you, if you think it isn't something you've got. And we're learning that actually God has designed each one of us uniquely Evangelistic, And part of on our Dazzle course is we take people on a journey to find out our Holy Spirit has designed them evangelistically. So being evangelistic becomes you being you, which, is a, which becomes a transformational thing. So this is what God's been teaching us here. Um, I can't spend too long on this because I haven't got to the main message yet. Um, Jesus, Jesus preached the kingdom of the gospel, of the, the gospel of the kingdom. His kingdom did not solely focus on conversion. So a lot of evangelism techniques focus on getting people over the line and not necessarily building disciples or creating disciples. And obviously conversion to become a Christian is a massive part of the kingdom, but it's not the only part. So when Jesus taught the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom, sorry, get my words around the right way, it included healing, it included society transformation, it included people identity, it included the poor getting integrated back into a family, it included all these things. So we're learning as an evangelist in an in a apostolic prophetic environment as we preach the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom. That's one thing, that's one thing about I've learned as an evangelist, being connected with the other gifts, is I've learned afresh how to preach the gospel. And the fifth point here is that Jesus invited people to follow him before they were Christians. All the way through the scriptures. He actually didn't invite anyone to become a Christian because that phrase didn't exist about 10 years after the resurrection. But anyway, that's another message. But the point being is, is he invited people to follow him so they would find out what he was like before they committed their life to him. 
Think of a, uh, take analogy of a wedding. It would be considered dysfunctional for somebody to marry someone they'd never met or didn't know. And yet some evangelism techniques apply that to evangelism. And, um, well, I'm going to go off on another message. <laughs> <laughs> Things I care about passionately. So, quick, on to the next slide before I, go to, before I preach those messages again. Right, the area that, that is really growing in us at the moment <coughs> is that supernatural is inherently supernatural. Evangelism is supernaturally... No. <laughs> Evangelism is inherently supernatural. That might sound really obvious, but a lot of evangelism training teaches method. If you're, if you're older, you might have heard of uh, the Romans Road, which takes four verses out of Romans, neatly packages the gospel and asks you to share it. I've got two problems with it. Not that it can't be useful, because God can use anything. Number one is it takes verses that were taught to Christians to explain their salvation and uses them in the context of evangelism. And if you're not talking to an unbeliever that has a, a, a background in the Bible, it's probably not the best thing to share. And secondly, it, it teaches indirectly a reliance on a method rather than Holy Spirit. So when you're in an evangelistic moment, you're thinking about, oh, I've got these four points to go through, which way do I go, and can I do them in any order? And, and your focus is there, not on what Holy Spirit is saying. In the Bible, and I'll come through some examples in a minute, most evangelistic moments in the Bible are actually initiated by the Holy Spirit. And he invites Christians to join in, in the process. So the, what, what is happening every day is people all around you, so you, there's loads of people that you mix with, probably hundreds of people, some you know, some you don't, in a normal week, that God is already working in, and he's talking to you about them, but you may not be hearing, or you're hearing it and you don't know what to do with it. Okay? And all, if you look in the Bible, supernatural evangelism really connects you, the person that knows God, that has heaven inside of them, with people that God is already working in, and, and, and the supernatural reality of God brings those two together, and it's like a bridge. So what the normal Christian life looks like in terms of growing up evangelistically or maturing evangelistically is you learning to hear God's voice in your everyday life, wherever you are, with whoever you're with, and then you know what to do about it and you engage. Let's give you a couple examples over the week and a half. This is the lifestyle that myself and Fiona live. Right? I was very shy when I was at school. My parents, well, the school rang my parents in my first year at school to find out if I actually spoke. Okay. Oh, you're going to be sweet. <laughs> yeah. I'm not sweet like that anymore. Um, I, I suffer with acute shyness. I've had a lie over my life for years about insignificance. So when, when I describe these things, the point I'm trying to make is I've grown out of those stuff into finding out who I am and then growing in evangelism. It was common for me to want to throw up before I spoke about 15 years ago because of the nerves that were in me. The point I'm making is, it doesn't matter where you're starting from, what matters is, is you, go, you, you go forward. Okay? And you can learn from the evangelists here, you don't, you're not on a blank piece of paper. So let's go through, can we pull up Acts 8? I'm just going to pick three examples. Um, time always goes quicker when you're talking. So we go for Acts 8. So this is the evangelists getting to play by God, getting us to come and play on the pitch, if I can use that. I hope there's no Liverpool. <laughs> Supporters in the house. Anyway, we won't go there. So, I'll just read this to you. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road. 
that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So I'm going to comment as I go through. In this scenario, you've got an angel initiating evangelism. So I would suggest to you, if we grow as a church in evangelism, angels will start initiating evangelism among us. Because a lot of the context of people seeing icy angels is often in worship, which we want. But that's not the only place they're found in the Bible. That's not the only context. So, so Philip, obviously listening to the angels, good plan. So he started out and went on his way, and he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of Candake. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So now we've got the Holy Spirit giving some instructions to Philip. Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. See, there's a setup here. There's an evangelistic moment that God has observed. He's drawn Philip into the situation just for this moment. So how can I... Philip ran up to the chariot, heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Then it reads that famous passage about Jesus being led like a sheep to the slaughter. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? And Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. So you've got this supernatural events that the Holy Spirit and the angels have orchestrated. Philip gets drawn into that, so it's initiated by heaven. And you notice that Philip doesn't whip out his Roman road. It says here that Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. It's a good passage to start with, isn't it? But notice the question from the eunuch. Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? See, the gospel is primarily relational. So when we talk about Jesus wanting to, re- or God wanting to reconcile himself, uh, the world to himself, it's relational. Now, the gospel is also transactional. So Jesus took our sin upon himself and he gives us our righteousness. And that is massively core. But you know, if you've been a Christian for years, faith is relational, isn't it? It's about being led by the Holy Spirit. It's about Jesus talking to you. It's about God having a plan for your life. It's about encountering him in worship and all the other things we talk about. So evangelism should be introducing people to the risen Christ. Yes, you have to give them information about the cross, his resurrection, his life. But it's much easier to introduce people to who God is and bring that information later. So let's give you a couple of examples. I was going to do it earlier. Um, I was, uh, well, some of my kids wanted to do some baking um, the other day, the weekend, and I went to the shop down in the road to buy all that stuff they wanted. And while I'm there, God gives me a download about the, the lady behind the counter, the shop assistant, that she's got some discomfort in, in, in her body somewhere. We have a conversation about it and find out where it is. And I tell her what happened, that God cares about her, and then we pray for her to be healed. See, what's going on there is, I'm not, is that she's finding out that God's a good God and God cares about her. It's more important to find out first about the character of God. That's why he invites you to follow him first. Um, uh, middle of this week, we took some of the kids out. They're doing exams, so we thought we'd go to Pizza Express, get some puddings and eat ice cream. It's always a good plan. Um, and while we were at the table, when, when the lady came over to, the waitress came over to take some money, 
Holy Spirit said to me, she's kind. Like, she's really kind. Ask her if she thinks she's kind. So I said to this lady, do you think you're kind? And then she gave me loads of reasons why she thought she was. So she knew herself. And I said to her, God told me that about you, and that's what God thinks of you. And he loves it when you're kind. And she said, really, that God thinks that well of me. She was blown away. See, this is where evangelism should start. It's introducing people to the character of God. So let's go on to another one. Acts 9. So this is this. We're going to jump in here straight after um, the Apostle Paul. He hasn't. He's Saul at this point. Um, has just fallen off the horse with a blinding light. Um, so in, in, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Bible doesn't tell us anything about Ananias, than other than he is a disciple. So the first story was when the evangelist got to play. Here, anybody who calls himself a disciple gets to play. This person could be significant from someone's perspective, insignificant. We don't know anything about them. And the Lord called to him in a vision. And he answered. So the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. I don't know if you know, because I've done some of this stuff in IT systems, there's only three countries in the world that have postcodes that bring you to a specific spot or a specific house. Most countries in the world, this is how they would give you the address. Yeah? You would describe where it is in relation to other things. So this is, this is, this is what God's doing. He's, 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 he's bringing out a very specific house. So again, the Holy Spirit is initiating evangelistic conversation. Because Paul has encountered Jesus. We don't know if he's born again at this point. He might well be. But Paul is sending Ananias to finish off the salvation process. Lord Ananias answered, I love this bit. I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your people in Jerusalem. So he's putting people to death, remember, context here. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest or call on the name of the Lord. Sorry, yeah. It's okay to have a debate about God with God when he asks you to do something, if you're not sure. God doesn't feel a bit ruffled here. He's quite relaxed about it. And it's a fairly severe situation, isn't it? Um, so don't, if you want to debate with God about it, feel, don't put yourself down about that. I think that's part of the process sometimes. But the Lord, uh, so the Lord sent to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. See, what, what's going on here is that God knows the full story. He knew what he was doing in Saul to turn him into Paul, and he knew Paul's future. Ananias didn't. So when God comes to you and says, come and talk to this non-Christian, or come and pray for this person for healing, God knows the whole journey, and he's asking you to be play a part in it. You don't have to share the whole gospel or every aspect of God's character in a single moment. You just need to do the bit that God asks you to do. So then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placed his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, he has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell off from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. Paul is obviously a significant Christian, historical Christian character and still influences us with his writings. And the fact he contributes to the Bible is fairly significant as well. But Ananias was part of his story. 
Ananias had the courage to respond to God, to search out the house and complete his salvation process. It's like the, uh, the man that invited Billy Graham to an evangelistic crusade through asking him to drive the truck there. I don't know if you've heard this story. Most people know who Billy Graham is, but not everybody even knows even the name of the person that invited him. So, when God invites us to join in, it may have significant implications. So let's go to the next story. So this is um, from Acts, Acts 10. So at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. So what's going on here is you've now got an angel talking to an unbeliever to set up an evangelistic moment. So that means in our society today, because I know this because I've met people who have had this experience, there are unbelievers that have supernatural experiences and they are waiting for Christians to meet to make sense of it. I've spent um, sometimes in my past a few years working in um, shows in London um, around um, soul, body, mind, body and soul, those kind of shows, where we would go and share the gospel with supernaturally hungry people and they would often go and look at the occult because they didn't think there was any other answer. Um, and completely, and many people become Christians during that week. You know, you'd read Bible verses like there's a way to God, and they'd go, there's a way to God. Why has no one ever told me? Because there's a hunger out there. But you've got... So when the Holy Spirit says he is out in the world working amongst people that are unsaved, it means it. There are people out there waiting for you to engage in what God's already doing in their life. So, just carrying on this story then. So Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. So now you've got an angel telling a non-Christian the address of a Christian that he needs to go and talk to. So again, if if we grow up in our maturity in evangelism, why wouldn't people knocking on our door be the norm? I've shared before when I've preached about how I've seen someone baptised in the Spirit on my door when they came, just a couple of people came to the door to collect money for charity. Um, a few years ago, there was a guy in my road who was doing, he lived in a road, was doing an Alpha course with us, and he came and knocked on the door and he goes, well, can you do your healing thing on my daughter? And his daughter was in her 20s and she was over from Spain and her hair was falling out. You know, not a nice thing I can imagine for a girl of that age, maybe of any age, but... Um, and we, I was very opportunistic and said, there's a church meeting in a couple of days that I'm speaking at, why don't you bring her? And she came, we prayed for her, and she was uh, completely healed. But people knocking on our door, I want to see that the norm. We prayed for uh, delivery drivers. We, I think there were three or four people with their knees healed. Um, I've got someone to fit, coming to my house on Tuesday to fit some broadband, so see how that one goes. <laughs> This, 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 is a, this is also a very significant story in that this is when the Gentiles are filled with a, or getting on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Massively significant verse for probably most of us here. Um, but again, it was initiated and set up by the Holy Spirit. I am very much in favor of organized evangelism. So that, what I mean by that is we could have a crusade or something or we could get 
you know, get 20 people and go treasure hunting, and there's always a place for that. But the majority of the evangelism in the Bible is it happens when people are out and about in their ordinary lives and God initiates. They get drawn into what God is doing, not trying to create something on their own. No, you can do that. Um, and I think if we're going to grow, we need to be listening and learning to Holy Spirit. So when we talk about you being evangelistic, or us all growing to be evangelistic, it's, a, well, it's the key thing I'm, I'm really saying this morning is, is are you hearing and are you listening for what God wants to do when you're out and about? So you could just be shopping at Blue Water, and your head is full of your thoughts of the things you want to buy, the nice things you want to get. And then you might just bump into somebody, and God might give you a download for them. That is what I'm looking for and want to see grow amongst us here. So going back to the size of the church, imagine 300 out of the 900 every week heard a word from God and shared it with a non-Christian. That would be 300, 300 encounters with an unbeliever. What if that grew in a few years to 500? Or grew in a few more years to 1,000? We could have 1,000 people once a week. It doesn't have to be as limited to once a week, but I'm just trying to make the point. We could have an increasing impact on the people that we work and live amongst just by learning to hear his voice, to be invited into what he's already doing. Just give you a couple of examples of questions I'm asking God. This week, just driving to work, I drove past two accidents involving a, a push bike and a motorcycle before, and the um, emergency service hasn't turned up yet. And I'm thinking, this is becoming a coincidence, God. Do you want me to stop and pray for the person? Do they need a miracle? I didn't, but I'm learning to ask God. I, I, a, few years, a few years ago, I, I walked into a lift at work, and this couple came in from a, from, a different off, from a different company in the building, and she started pouring her heart out about all the medical issues she had and how the doctors couldn't solve them. And I didn't understand why that was happening or why I was there, but now I understand that I was there because she had a problem that needed God. And I didn't see it, but I'm learning the point being is these things happen around us all the time and um, we want to be hearing God. Let's just go on. A sl- I'm going to skip. Can we go back to my slides? Skip the next two slides because I've run out of time. That's it. Thank you. So I want to just to finish. How long am I done or have I got five minutes? Thank you very much. Good. That's perfect. <laughs> So here's some ideas to grow evangelistically. So I want to give you some practical things that you could do. Because Jesus came to seek and save the lost. And therefore that should be part of who we are. And therefore we need to give time to it. And it can look very differently. It could be, just going back to that moment in blue water, that God speaks to you and you stop what you're doing and you give time to what God wants to do. Could just be as a small adjustment as that. Could be a bit more. So how about spending time with unbelievers? If you look at statistics in American churches, only 25% of evangelical Christians purposely build relationships with unbelievers to, to bring the kingdom to them. Don't know if the same is true in the UK, but you could do that. You could do that as an individual, as a couple with friends. You could say, I'm going to give one evening a week and go and do something, go and play football, join a snooker club. Whatever it is, we're, uh, plenty of things around. Just hang out down the pub once a week. 
have fun with your friends and then start asking Holy Spirit for download and see what happens. You never know. Um, we, um, the church sent out an evangelism calendar by email a few weeks ago. So I don't know if you, it looks like this, if you remember the colours. On here is an annual calendar of, of events that include equipping for Christians in terms of how to do evangelism. So for example, Vicky Shorts is doing a prophetic evangelism training evening at the end of June, which might interest some of you. And it also includes some evangelism events you can invite your friends to, like Soul Chat that Fiona was describing on the video. So there is a whole bunch of things that you yourselves can do, and it's laid out from now to October. There is plenty of opportunity to either bring your friends to an evangelistic event or grow in your evangelism. And there's a whole breadth of all sorts of stuff on there. Why not have a look at it? See what grabs you. See what draws you. We run a course called uh, Developing a Supernatural Evangelistic Lifestyle. We quite like the acronym DAZZLE. We'll be starting the next one in September. That course is primarily designed for people that struggle with evangelism. So it's about breaking off the lies getting over the bad experiences, helping you discover how God has designed you evangelistically and setting you up for success. There was one lady on the previous course, that's one of my favorite stories, is that she, she started asking God for words of knowledge while she was on a commuter train and she got a word of knowledge for the lady in front of her. But the trouble was, and we all relate to this experience, the train was packed. So she felt like, I'm on this course, I've got to go back next week, maybe I need to share this word, the healthy pressure. Um, but didn't want to do it in front of everybody. We all get that, don't we? Yeah, we all get that. And then she prayed that God would make it possible. And then two stations later, literally, this is true, everyone got out of the carriage apart from her and this woman. So if you don't think God will set you up for success and make it easy for you, you need to listen to that story. We, we've recently did um, Dazzle as a, a, we, uh, a weekend course in... Um, the Faroe Islands with the church that's connected with us. We did it over three days. Um, and we've seen individuals here transformed as they've come on Dazzle. But we saw a whole, ch- or saw a whole church. And they would use language like, you've transformed our life. And they meant it. We met up with them when they were down here this week. And, and there's something that God's doing in that course. So if you want to make that course in September, that would be part of the Connect program. You could do that. If you join ESSEL, just to take a couple of minutes to finish... That's our supernatural school, which is a key, uh, major part of what we do here at Eastgate. There's evangelism training in the evening and during the daytime. There's an alpha course that we're going to be running. David Webster will be running that in September that you could bring your, your, your uh, non-Christians to. We're looking for as many non-Christians to be bought next Sunday evening on Soul Chat. If you haven't got any non-Christian friends, you want to see what it's like first before you invite your non-Christian friends. You want to do that afterwards. You're welcome to come and try us out. I appreciate that you want to know it's a good thing before you invite your friends. I understand that's normal. Um, and, we, and we want you to come anyway so you can give us some feedback so we can improve it um, and also contribute to what it means to reimagine evangelism if you describe yourself as an evangelist or you've got a leaning to evangelism or you've got, you've got an evangelist to give whatever language you personally use if, you, if I don't know who you are, I'd like to because we're building a community of evangelists here so come and introduce yourself to me let's stand, we're just going to ask Holy Spirit a question because I've run out of time so just engage with Holy Spirit for a moment I know your thoughts might be what happens in the next two minutes, where are my children, and all that good stuff. But I want to ask Holy Spirit a question. So ask Holy Spirit, what is my next step to grow evangelistically? So what is my next step to grow evangelistically?
and listen to what he says. <laughs> 